has kind of placed on your heart to lead these people in, or the direction, and the oversight then is taking care of where they are, you know, it's viewing where they are, using discernment on how to handle that, and where to take them, but then you have the other side, um, is how they're responding, and how they, you know, quick to jump into it, and how how willing they are, and and that's it, it's Mm -hmm. an attitude of, are they willing to follow the leadership? Hello, and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with a couple of church planners in Colorado about their experience with discipleship. Hello, and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to do something quite a bit different than what we normally do, and I know I feel like I say that all the time. Um, but we've got a couple of guests with us today, and we are reversing the roles. Typically, uh, what I do is I ask the guests a bunch of questions, but we're going to have our guests ask us the questions today. So that's a little bit upside down, and uh, we're excited to see what, what the Lord has in store for us today. Both of our guests are church planters in Colorado, and they are trying to establish within their own churches an atmosphere of discipleship and and set their churches to function through discipleship. And so they have um, some questions that maybe I would not ask or that or that um, Brother Stewart wouldn't necessarily think of either. So I'm hoping that throughout the course of the interview that we'll be able to get some new questions, some fresh uh, perspective on things. So if you would, guys, go ahead and introduce yourself, Brian, if you want to if you want to start and uh, tell us what it is that uh, tell us about yourself, your family, and then uh, where you are in Colorado and uh, a little bit about the church and ministry that you're involved in. Okay. I'm Brian Ricker, and we I was uh, pastoring a, a church that's uh, 113 years old. I grew up in wow. Wyoming and Colorado and have seven brothers and sisters, and um, we moved around a lot when I was a kid and as we were growing up. And and uh, But uh, today, after Bible college, I uh, met my wife there, and we have three children, and we uh, served as a youth pastor and youth pastor's wife uh, for about 10 years in northeastern Colorado and it learned a lot there and grew a lot and about three years ago it'd be this January God moved us um, to be the, the pastor and leader of the church where we are and um, so now we have a, a an older congregation um, of people that have been in church a long time and uh, been very faithful and it's been a good, great group of people to learn from and to grow with. Uh, very gracious, because that's that's needed as a new pastor. Sure, and I'm th- very yeah. thankful for that. Been, it was a very smooth transition, and and some things that started off very slowly, which helped me kind of get into the role of pastor and learn because I didn't have a lot of time beforehand to prepare for that. So, uh, so that's been very good. We're there in the north. North Denver metro area, and it's just been about three years. And the, the one of the previous pastors pastored there for about forty years, and so I want to just try to match that if the Lord will let me. Yeah, and just stay there. But, That's great. And the the church that you are pastoring, you said, is over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you're essentially almost a restart from what I from what I understand. Is that true? Or somewhere is it close? <laughs> yes, because around the, the early two thousands, the church was running had had a membership role of about two hundred, and uh, that would shock you if you saw the size of our building, probably. But um, 
but uh, there was a, there was a gentleman that was there for a few years that kind of helped to bring it down to what it is today. We and we have about twenty five uh, people um, that are regular uh, church members and attenders mm-hmm. um, that are there today. So yeah, in many cases, what's become known as a revitalization of the church. That's that's really where we are, and uh, but we've kind of. Um, because of some of those changes, lost a lot of contact with our community. And so uh, there's just not the impact that I think yeah, even once was there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it, in many ways, it's kind of a new new start. Okay, great. Um, and then if you would go ahead and introduce yourself as well and tell us what where you are, a little bit about your family and uh, the ministry that you're involved in right now. Well, my name is Justin Garber, and I am a church planner to Lions, Colorado. And we actually just started... The church plant this year. Um, we our, our original start date was May of 2020, um, and that's uh, just kind of the ministry that we have there. And it's been a different ministry from what most people would uh, envision a church plant, just with all the curveballs we've been thrown in 2020. So it's uh, we've kind of adapted a Bible study model um, primarily mm-hmm. in that area. We do study with one family um, consistently on Sunday nights. Um, but a little bit about my family. Uh, my wife and I uh, met while I was in college. She wasn't. We met through a mutual uh, friend there that's a pastor. And um, we've been married for just short of two years now. Um, and just uh, excited to see what the Lord's doing um, with the two of us and just uh, as a family unit as we're getting started in a family. Um, right now, no kids. It's just the two of us. Um, but a little bit more on our ministry side. Um, we've uh, adapted, like I said, we have a Bible study role um, with different people, and we're also really working on just the initial evangelism of an area. Being in Colorado, we do see a lot of atheism, and, and we have those kind of hurdles, but we also see a group of people that have very little to no idea of what a church or church setting looks like. Sure. So um, that, that that's good, and I think a lot of people, especially... Um, people like me who live in the South um, have absolutely no understanding of what it is like in the Northwest, um, particularly Colorado, Wyoming, you know, um, and, and I, I live five minutes from my church. I pass three on the way to church. Um, so that's not something that exists where you guys are. So church planning is a totally different, totally different beast. Um, we're restarting in, in Brian's case, but um, the, the model that you guys are, are seeking to fill in your own churches is that of a model of discipleship and mm-hmm. um, where you're, you're trying to train people and you are coming across unique things that people like myself in the South aren't going to run into. Um, and on the podcast, I, I've, I've tried to come from a perspective of a church planter uh, on a foreign field because that's what I'll be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be good to get a perspective from some guys that have a, have a different idea and have a different experience, a personal experience in, in church planning or restarting and discipling people that may be a little bit harder to deal with than typical in the States. So um, you guys have some questions. And uh, if you want to just go ahead, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we have one ask a question and then the other and kind of back and forth and I'll interject and press on things here and there. And then um, and we'll go that way. So if you want to go ahead and start, Brian, um, okay. and we'll go from there. And if you know, even before we start that, if you want to compare to get an idea of what it's like um, in the Western states, we have a lot of churches, 
and there it it wouldn't be as much of a a church culture though like you have in the south and the bible belts and areas like that um but there are per capita there's a lot of churches mm-hmm. and you have you know a, a, an array of different denominations and and belief systems and all that um where it differs as you don't have the church culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I think God helped me to show me early on that when you're, you're reaching folks that aren't used to being in church, which is not uncommon anywhere now, but you ranchers and farmers and people that are spread out a little bit more, not in the metropolitan areas, but um, in those states, some of that is very spread out. And there's a lot of little towns that don't have anything. Mm-hmm. and uh, But then you have people that are just used to doing everything on their own. And, and uh, uh, so it takes a lot of longevity to to gain some of that trust because people just are, aren't quick to accept sure. a, a new church or, and things like that. So that's sometimes uh, where you're coming from. And so... <clears throat> um, Part of one of my thoughts is as I'm listening to the podcast episodes and um, going through some of those materials, even myself, uh, is what you know we read in Mark chapter four of the the seed being sown mm-hmm. and uh, cast on different types of soil, which I believe you've alluded to in the in some of the episodes. Um, do you see? You know, in discipleship and and trying to um, move that direction with with the church and with the church body, are those some of the types of hurdles you see the the struggles? Whereas people, you know, being willing to accept the opportunity to be taught, or you know, and do you see the the discipleship itself, not the word of God like it is in that passage, being given to people? that then um, respond just like we see in that passage. Or some receive it and then uh, they don't really grow with it and they get pulled away. And some that don't receive it at all, even though they've been through some. What are some of those types of of um, approaches that people take? And then, you know, how does that compare with just the devil getting in and influencing um, to create hurdles to keep you as the pastor... To, to try to help these people get to the next level in their Christian walk? That's a complex question because right. uh, there's an awful lot that goes into that. But let me attempt to uh, try and answer at least a few of those. Some of the things that I've seen uh, in discipling people is that once I start discipling them, it's, it's amazing how the Satan, the world, the flesh will immediately start to attack their schedule. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I've, I've had to really learn to do is be as flexible as I can to moving the time and the date of it because it's almost as soon as you plan it and you get a week or two in, many times that person's work schedule is going to change, that person's uh, family demands are going to come in, uh, and then you have holidays, you have other things that come up, and so I found that uh, that is one of the hurdles. And unfortunately, there's been a handful of people that that has caused them because they have had these other issues come up once we started meeting and we started making some ground. 
that choked out really mm-hmm. the opportunity to continue to disciple with them. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's one of the things. Uh, there's been other people that have reacted that they're, I think they kind of saw it as a program mm-hmm. and they kind of saw it as, well, I'll go through this and I'll check this box off and I'll be able to have this certificate that I've accomplished this. And it's almost as if, uh, you know, it's like in the workplace where the more certificates and the little classes you go to and the seminars you go to and you get all these, you pile as many certificates as you can because that'll give you more qualifications and you get more pay and that kind of thing. And so we kind of transfer that to the church and we're like, well, I'm going to be a better Christian if I have this seminar and that seminar and this checkbox mm-hmm. and all that. And so they kind of view this as just another certificate to earn or another course to accomplish. Right. And in doing so, uh, they kind of go through it, and, and, and I, I can't speak to whether they let it in their heart or not, but by their actions, mm-hmm. it seems like most of it's just going in their head, and it's just intellectual and, and trivial kind of knowledge, but it's not actually affecting the way they live their life mm-hmm. and their decisions. So with that being the case, and we're teaching to observe, and we're not, and we're not seeing them observe, uh, then we we have that uh, another issue that uh, kind of comes up a hurdle that'll come up is uh, some of the earlier ones that I discipled I didn't disciple them well enough that they understood exactly how they were then to disciple the next level and so they would be discipling the next level and then I after they would go through some lessons I would find out that the one they were discipling wasn't agreeing, even maybe on some doctrinal stuff, and they just kept going. Mm-hmm. And so not only were we not teaching to observe, but we're actually continuing to teach somebody who is now in disagreement doctrinally with where we're at. Mm-hmm. And yet this process was continuing, which is obviously not the intent and not the desire because Christ says, hey, we're to teach them to observe whatsoever he has commanded us. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's his command, it's not an option. It's, you know, it's not, you know, this isn't up for debate. This is, we're teaching this to you so you can observe it. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. We're, you know, we can't force you to to, to do that. But we certainly want to teach you to observe it. And so that was another mm-hmm. hurdle that we've seen. Um, other hurdles are just the fact that, uh, uh, people get busy and their priorities change when once they start taking it. And a lot of that, I think, is because uh, they're not applying it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's not that application, and so it loses interest in their life. Right. Um, but there's been people that I've started. Um, so we stopped for a while. Then they wanted to restart, and then we've stopped again. And some of those will restart again. But again the whole time we're what we're doing is we're simply making it available to them mm-hmm. if they're not going to observe it we're not going to cut them off in the sense of cutting off relationship with them but we are going to cut off the teaching because there's no sense in going forward if you don't understand what god is teaching here and you don't want to accept it then why would i teach you more truths sure that you're not going to accept so we will cut off the teaching time but I may not even cut off the meeting time. I may still just meet them for lunch or breakfast if they're willing to do so. And that yeah. harkens back to to what we've talked about previously about how you have an intentional plan 
or how it is that you're going to disciple them, and you can't move to C until you've covered A and B. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. And so you've decided, look, this person's not applying A and B in their life, so we're going to hang out at A and B until they do because they can't understand C without that is what you're getting at. Yeah. Uh, if you compare it to an, an education setting, a, a school, mm -hmm. like grammar school, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you can't accomplish what needs to be accomplished in first grade, the teacher would be unwise to graduate you from first grade because you, you haven't learned the lessons that need to be learned for first grade. Sure. Why would you be per, passed on to second grade? That just... It doesn't make any sense. The Which they do, can, but this isn't a political podcast. Well, so. yeah, this, <laughs> but does that? It doesn't even make sense. I mean, you would think, you know, unless you just, I guess, unless you're just wanting to be compassionate without really being loving. Sure. Uh, and and you have a uh, a non-biblical view of love, then you will pass somebody whether they've completed the work or not. But mm -hmm. in a in a in a godly loving way, you're not going to put somebody. On, I mean, it's it's really unloving to let somebody move on when they're not ready. Sure, yeah, because you're putting them in a position where they're they're going to be ill-equipped to handle what's what's coming next. And so again, I mean, I don't have control of what's happening in the person's life, but what I do have responsibility of stewardship is the Word of God that's been entrusted to me, and I am been ch uh, called just like every believer has been called to to give the gospel, and when they receive the gospel, encourage them to be baptized, and then, like every believer, is tasked with that we're to teach what God has taught us, to teach them to observe it, not just mm -hmm. to hear it, but right. to observe it, which puts them in the category, according to Christ, as a wise man. Because the wise man hears God's word, hears Christ's words, and he acts on it, he does it. Mm -hmm. The foolish man hears God's words and does nothing with it. Right. And to the, the passage of Scripture that you were referring to, where Jesus is telling that parable about the ground, the different kinds of ground. Um, first, the parable, I, I, I believe personally, is, is, referring the is referring to the gospel. Right. Um, but it does apply as far as someone who's already saved and receiving additional truth. It applies to that. Um, but what I would say to that is when it comes to that, nobody is good ground. Um, we all have rocks, mm -hmm. and we all have thorns, and we all have issues. And so, and we all have Satan after us too. So, and I, I've lived in, in three different places, two in the Midwest, one in the South. And in all three places, my mom has had a garden. And in all three places, I have had to till that garden. <laughs> and I can tell you from experience, Tennessee was a lot harder to till than the Midwest was. <laughs> Not even close. Um, in fact, my friend had his own till, you know, rotor till, nice thing. Um, and in those tills, they have a, a pin, a safety pin, essentially. And that pin's job is to break if you hit a, a large rock mm -hmm. to keep the whole till from breaking. And we've re we replaced six or seven till uh, a pins the first year that we were tilling that ground. And it was because we were tilling through more stone than dirt, mm -hmm. in essence, and, and clay and just terrible dirt. Now her garden is excellent, but it's taken you know, all of these years we've been there for 15 years. It's taken 15 years of tilling and planting and letting stuff die and put the nutrients back in the dirt. And now she has real mm -hmm. dirt there. But the point I'm making is that while everybody's everybody's soil isn't the same, everybody's got rocks. Mm -hmm. 
And part of that discipleship process is going through and sifting through that in their life and helping them pull those rocks out. Mm-hmm. Some people have got really big rocks and some people have got small rocks. Um, but everybody's got a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't matter if they've been saved. I mean, Pastor Stewart, we, um, and we talked with somebody just yesterday about they started discipling in their 70s, you yep. know, and they had, they've been Christians for a long time, had rocks in their life. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. And, and part of the question is not necessarily to negate some of that. It's just to, you, you have, you know, the, the goal that God has kind of placed on your heart to lead these people in or the direction and the oversight then is taking care of where they are, you know, and viewing where they are and using discernment on sure. how to handle that and where to take them. But then you have the other side, what um, is how they're responding and how they, you know, quick to jump into it and how how willing they are. And, and that's it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. an attitude of are they willing to follow the leadership? And so f- part of a, that is to lead to a, the follow-up question is um, where have you seen... Um, Satan, I mean, obviously it's come throughout this whole time, but have you seen Satan kind of attack that, obviously with schedules and things you mentioned, and then see God overcome those, overcome Satan and his attacks in those people's lives? Has that been a big thing that's helped them to take that next step? Or has... Before you get into that too, I think something that you mentioned just now in, in your question, mm-hmm. that's true not just of discipleship, but it, it is something that has come onto modern American political scene too. Is personal responsibility versus corporate responsibility, and the answer is actually somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. People have to be responsible for their own actions. Absolutely, mm-hmm. the disciple is responsible for applying what he's taught, but the disciple is also responsible for teaching what that person needs. So it, it goes both ways. So, but anyways, if you if you want to answer that question real quick. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific, and I'm not pulling it up right now. There are many things that I can think of where we've faced hurdles that, uh, like I said, either Satan, the world, the flesh, you know, uh, they are rising up and, and causing issues. Most of the hurdles have been accomplished in really I think the principle that that God calls all of his servants to and that's faithfulness. Sure. And so by the faithfulness of his servants uh who are at a higher level of maturity than the one who's being worked with. And so again, we're not talking about it, you know, everybody being able to preach a message that's doing discipleship because some of the people that are discipling are not you know, not have had the training in the rules of the good Bible study yet, uh, but they don't have to as long as they're further down the road than the one they're discipling mm-hmm. and the one that they led to the Lord. And so, again, the ideal is you lead somebody to Christ, it's your job to help them get to where you are, but it's also your discipler's job to help you get closer to Christ and continue to move down that road. And so, as long as everybody is continuing to grow and mature and everybody stays faithful, then, then I think that really uh, is the faithfulness of the servant who is discipling or helping to teach that person. It's their faithfulness that is that God uses. Uh, and again, it's not every time. There's been many a times that you know there's been people that would have been discipled and then they they walk away. Uh, you know, there's many, and, but you have that in every aspect 
of ministry, mm-hmm. whether you use a discipleship model or not, you have people who put their hand to the plow and turn back. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, we still see that with discipleship, but we see it less, and we have an intentional plan to be able to help them if they are willing to put their hand to the plow again. And you also know why. Exactly. Because you were personally involved in that person's life. Mm-hmm. You have a much I, better chance of understanding that. Yeah, yeah. And and we've got... I, I've talked to a lot of pastors about stuff like this, and they'll say things to the effect of, you know, that person used to be very faithful, and they used to be involved, and I just don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. And in an effort to not be rude, I don't ask the question, but I think to myself, why don't you know what happened? You know, you don't have to pry into somebody's life to know what happened. You just have to be involved, you know? Mm-hmm. And... That observance of oversight, <clears throat> and you and I being faithful as ministers, as pastors, um, as the overseers, taking that oversight. You remember, he tells us we're to take oversight. It's not to. It's not ever going to be handed to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are not going to just hand it to you. But we take it, and we, but we have to do it in a way that we're not lording over them as mm-hmm. well. And so it does not give us. Uh, a carte blanche lordship in their life. They've got one lord, and they don't need one, uh, any other one, because mm-hmm. he's the best lord any of us could have. Mm-hmm. So we let we. It's our job to let the lord be lord, but we have a responsibility. And so when we know what that responsibility is, and then we're able to remain faithful in that responsibility, and we seek to help the others around us, those that he's given us oversight and stewardship of then we are able to help them be faithful and understand what areas they need to be faithful in. And then we encourage and influence them towards faithfulness as well. And that happens by having an intentional plan to teach them how to be a faithful person. So then, And then what I'm gathering then is you don't, you, you don't focus on the hurdles. You just focus on walking with the Lord and leading. You know, because if you dwell on the hurdles... Then you're always looking back. You're always, uh, uh, you're not just leading in the direction you need to go. So sure, yeah. And there, there are obstacle hurdles that you have to deal with first. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. if someone's a raging alcoholic, right, <laughs> um, and they're not going to show up to the meeting sober, you have to deal with that first. You know, so there are some obvious things that you do have to deal with first. But um, yeah, no, I think what Pastor Stewart is saying is go to the scripture. And let the scripture speak for itself, because you know, the Lord will do the job. He doesn't need us to do the job. He chooses to use us to do the job. Mm-hmm. And when the sooner we recognize that, the better. You know. I think that the, the uh, doctrine of, of the priesthood of the believer comes into play here as well, because I don't. I'm not the intercessor for this person. Yeah. And they have a responsibility to do their part and that's where when we understand the growth uh, the spiritual growth uh, steps or chart that we have and we understand God's part in their life and what he's going to do and we understand our part what is my responsibility to be faithful but then the the really big key has been for me to not focus on those hurdles or only focus on them when I need to help them over that hurdle in the sense of an addiction or or something that's really glaring, but <clears throat> is to understand what their part is, and I I can never do their part for them. Mm-hmm. Now we kind of understand that when we do when we 
give somebody the gospel. And I think sometimes we even try and do their part by, mm-hmm. you know, motivating them to want it. Right. But that's really not our part. That's their part to want it and to receive it. But even when we're discipling somebody, they have a role in this and they have a vested interest in this. And if they're mm-hmm. not willing to exercise their priestly duty towards the Lord and their relationship with him, well, then we've got we've got some serious issues and those hurdles. Uh, there are some tools that we have, and you haven't been introduced to those tools yet. We haven't gotten that far in the in the lessons, but we do have the tool of intercessory prayer. <clears throat> and when we intercede, and, and it's a powerful tool that we can use to help these individuals over these hurdles, because in intercessory prayer, it's very specific prayer that we pray and we're asking God to basically shut down Satan's workshop in their life. Mm-hmm. We're then asking God to keep them from any undue and un, uh, any wicked influence. And then we ask God to allow his word. And again, all the prayer is, is asking God to do these things. So I have no authority or power in this other than he's told me to come to him. And he's given me these promises that if we'll ask these things for his will, for his purpose in this person's life. And he says, well, I'll do that. And so we ask God uh, to allow his word to have free course in their heart and mind. And so when we intercede in prayer for this person, uh, that is the most powerful tool that we have as a faithful servant discipling somebody to be able to try and really give them a time out, so to speak, mm-hmm. from dealing with their temptations and other things so that God's word, <clears throat> excuse me, so that God's word can sink deeper into their heart and mind. Mm-hmm. And what a powerful tool! Because He says, "What is it? What is His word? It's sharper than any two-edged sword, mm-hmm. doing what? Piercing, piercing mm-hmm. to the, to the, the dividing of asunder the soul." Mm-hmm. And so, what what do they need? How are we going to get over this hurdle? It's by the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so, when we have the opportunity to exercise that. Uh, that tool that God gives us and we actually remain faithful and use the tools that he's given us, then we can see people have victory. And again, it's it's still up to them. They've got to choose. But we're giving them every opportunity. And what we see is we see less defeat Mm -hmm. and we see more victory. And that's really what we're shooting for because the, the... life of a believer, it should be a life of victory. Or mostly victories. Obviously we're going to mm-hmm. have some moments of weaknesses and we're going to have moments where uh, like Paul says, the things I wish I did, I, did I, I don't do. And the things I don't do, I wish uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would do. And all of those things. But you know, the, those moments of weaknesses are going to be there. But we can have a life of victory mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. That's great, okay. and um, like like four good preachers, we've spent thirty minutes on one question. But um, <laughs> we'll transition over. Uh, if you've got a question for us, go ahead. And you've kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier when you were talking about hurdles. Um, but one thing, um, especially traveling in different churches, we've seen is the American philosophy or method of things is always through something of a program. And it's not necessarily a discipleship program. And you mentioned that it's really easy for people to view it as a program. So I would ask you, as a, on a pastoral level, 
but also uh, in the leading level to lead your people. What have you done to take steps to not allow discipleship to become a program and actually keep it in that biblical sense of growing them and nurturing them in Jesus Christ and not adopting today's philosophy on that? I think the some of the tools that we've had to implement is to, from the pulpit, deal with that concept as it comes up in passages of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So as we're preaching, I I really don't... I was intentional in the sense that I was... When the opportunity came, I took the opportunity. But I didn't... It's not like I put it in my notes. Mm -hmm. Um, And when the Holy Spirit would give me liberty... I would deal with discipleship, and I would I would use the phrase, this is not a program, this is the way we minister. And then when I talk to people, uh, when I disciple somebody, uh, especially a newborn believer, I just simply, I treat this situation as if it was normal, even though within the church that we were transitioning, it, and in our, even my experience, it wasn't normal. But, but I had a dysfunctional normal that I grew up under. Now, I don't mean that in any disrespect to any of the leaders I had, because most of the pastors I had probably never had the opportunity to be introduced to these thoughts. Okay. But I, you know, I would have to admit that the way I grew up in the Lord, although the Holy Spirit of God was powerful enough to help me grow up, it was not an ideal path to maturity. And so, uh, and that's what we've seen in most of the churches that I've been a part of over the years. We've not had an ideal path. And so it's been my passion to try and help us get that ideal path. And in order to do that, what we need is a group of believers that have ad- uh, adopted the, the scriptural model, which is what? You lead somebody to the Lord. Within a very short time, they're baptized. Uh, and then once they're baptized, the believers... The body itself is teaching them to observe, to do whatsoever Christ sure. says to do. So it's with that model. And so then you just, what we've had to do is just continue to put that before them and help them see if you've come another way, praise the Lord. And I thank the Lord for his faithfulness, even though I wasn't, didn't grow up and didn't have the opportunity for a, a yeah. more, more uh, correct model or a more perfect model. But that doesn't it absolve me now as a man who's called to preach and to pastor that when I see that more perfect model to ignore it and just go on with what I did and because that's the way I was raised. So now we're trying to help them to see. So, and, and there have been times that we've discipled people and they'll come up to me and say, Hey pastor, I really like our discipleship program. And I kind of wince when I hear that because (laughs) that's exactly what I'm trying not to do. But then I have to go back and evaluate and see why is it that they're seeing this as a program. Mm -hmm. And then I've had to make those adjustments to be able to tell you exactly what those things were right now. I couldn't couldn't think of that. When I was in um, the secular workforce, we had to read a book. I was was a part of the leadership team at my job. And one of the secular books that we had to read, I believe it was called Whose Job Is It? I believe that was the title of the book. And uh, I could be wrong about that. But the, the, the overarching concept of the book was that people don't do their job because they don't know what their job is. 
Um, and as a leader, your job is to let them know what their job is. Correct. And of course, it was the because it was a secular book. There were some things that you and I would uh, would understand are actually biblical concepts um, that were written long before this book was written. You know, um, but part of being a shepherd is telling the sheep where they need to go, right, yeah. and what they need to do. And a lot of the time, I think church people don't respond or they believe something to be a program or something to that effect because they don't know it's their job to be out and and discipling and witnessing and teaching. And when, uh, when you are learning something because you know you're going to teach it, you learn it differently. Yeah. And that was the difference for me between my undergrad and my master's degree. My undergrad, I did because that's what you do. My master's degree I did because I knew I was going to be teaching people. And I learned infinitely more in my master's degree, not because it was a master's program, but because I approached it differently. Um, And so I think a lot of that is people see something as a program because it's that person who teaches that program's job to do the teaching and it's my job to just be there. As opposed to discipleship which is a whole no as a whole new beast i'm investing yeah. in you for the express purpose that you will invest in other people Correct. and um so whose job is it you know and i think if we can as as pastors and leaders in our own churches get the concept across to people that it isn't my job Amen. it's actually your job and it's all of our job one of the ways we seek to do that and is from the very get go uh, when we start discipling even a brand new babe in Christ, we let them know that we're teaching you so you can teach others. Mm-hmm. And so we're reminding them almost every lesson that they need to be looking to win people to the Lord, to, to introduce them to Christ, and then it'll be their job to teach them. And so we try and remind them each lesson, you know, I want you to learn this, but I also want you to learn this so you can teach it to others. And usually early on, that can be very intimidating to them. And so I don't hit it like super hard, but I do put that concept out there. And that's one of the ways that we've learned to be able to avoid some of the program mindset because a program always has a leader. And an ending. And an ending. Mm -hmm. And here, this has no leader in the sense of other than Christ. And the leader is going to be you Mm -hmm. next. But then... You need to train that next leader who's going to train that next leader. And it's going to all be an individual level, you know, uh, opportunity and relationship. And so that kind of takes the program out of it because programs always want to do what? Get more and more organized and get more and more people in in leadership roles and all these other things where this has nothing of that sort. Mm -hmm. My pastor says all the time, that the Christian life is the unending pursuit of Jesus Christ. And the fact that our listeners are hearing me say that, some of them will immediately know who my pastor is because of that. <laughs> um, but that that phrase is more true than I think we give credit a lot of the time. That it is. It's an unending. It's not, it's not going to be over. And I think people, when they see discipleship as a program, or when they see the whole concept of a class or something like that, there's an end to that class. Yeah. There's an end to that process uh, program or whatever it is. But there is not an end to discipleship. Correct. Yeah. Whether you might end your 
sessions with a particular person, but you personally are still improving, and now you're the disciple. Yeah. So the discipleship hasn't ended. It's just transferred in responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's a good place for us to wrap up um, this discussion. And uh, if you, as a listener, you have any questions or you need to reach out, you can always reach us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, generalorder4 at gmail.com. And also on Twitter at generalorder, the number four. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, again, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And that's all we got for today. So thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we're going to be doing an interview in the church that Pastor Stewart pastors. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at generalorder4. Please like, share, and subscribe.